Hey everyone, Nicholas here. This is just a brief snippet from this week's Patreon episode. If you like what you hear, you can unlock this and every other Patreon episode for just $5 a month. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash furidashi for that and more. So in our previous episode, when we talked about the way in which, like, there there is a fundamental problem that I, I had noticed in a lot of the, like, hype about AI. And it's it's that it's weirdly apocalyptic, or or not not that. So actually, no. There's a kind of duality there. It's like either utopian or apocalyptic, and there's no no in between there for some reason. Like it's either going to destroy everything, or it's become going to become this perfect society in which we can all like download our consciousness consciousnesses into like a supercomputer, and we'll just be like processing our feelings until the end of time. But the thing is, like the reality is almost always somewhere in between those poles and well, not even just in between, but like the, the reason why the relationship between Rainer and Evelyn is really indicative of this problem is because like Rainer is exploiting Evelyn. And when Evelyn, and if you choose the Rainer ending in Eliza, the game, it's very clear that like Evelyn, and we said this, that Evelyn has been like plugged into a system like her she is dehumanized in the process and as a result she starts to see herself as kind of like she literally says she's the avatar of this thing that they're that they're trying to create and that's very weird because the examples of this like avatarness i didn't want to say avatar state because then it would be like last airbender (laughs) 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 but this sort of like avatarness like the the previous example that we've gotten of this is the proxies for like the the wellness program that Mm -hmm. eliza supposedly is and in that instance like that proxy system is very clearly modeled on the situation of gig workers in our economy like you you can essentially like the the way the proxy works in um, Eliza is not really fundamentally different from like the function of say like a DoorDash driver or someone who works for Instacart. Like they're kind of the same thing. And I think that's actually the game was designed intentionally to make that connection. And when you look at the way in which various systems are deployed, like say, you know, the various like apps that, you know, like Instacart and DoorDash drivers use, there's a weird way in which like the tech becomes a justification for what is really just ordinary capitalist exploitation. Yeah. And I, I think that like Eliza for me really like hit that nail on the head every time you got a rating. Yeah. Then when Ranger said he normalized your ratings so that it wouldn't make everyone feel bad. Or maybe it was Ray that said that. Someone said that because well, it's Rainer. It's Rainer who it was Rainer. It. Okay. Rainer is the one who's been manipulating her sessions and watching them. Yeah, which is also another capitalist, like also very weird. weird. But what I was going to say is like, it's very much what you do on Lyft, right? It's what you do on DoorDash. That if you have a good dasher, you always rate them five, like you never rate someone four. Yeah. But what you do is like to the other user, right? Do we, I don't know. I've never been a Dasher. I've never been a Lyft or Uber driver. Are their ratings normalized? No, because everyone's a five star, right? But you know that anything less than five, um, it's just is bad. 
Like that's kind of the average three-star restaurant rating. You like, ooh, that's a three-star. Like I don't want to go there unless it's yeah. an ethnic slash authentic Chinese place in the Midwest or Texas. And if it's three stars, you're like must go because <laughs> that yeah. means they cater to the people who want their food, not their food is catered to the people. Yeah, who generally the dirty, the dirtier place. It you for yeah. You want I know, and it. it sounds it sounds bad, okay? And because like <laughs> it's not about dirt, it's not about it being dirty. Yeah. It's not that it's unclean. Let's just say so we're all clear okay, there because yeah, there, okay. so there, there is this, there is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my bad. I apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally, totally fair, totally valid. Because like <laughs> the the way that society in the culture of America, right, has conditioned us to think about what what is clean and what is not is very different. Right from actual food preparation and what an actual kitchen looks yeah, like. Yeah, from, from and, sanitation. Yeah. Yeah, from sanitation. So yeah. just so we're all clear there. Um, but I, I say that because it is right the societal conditioning of AI and of humanity, right? That kind of feeds its way into it. And I do really think that AI makes its way. It's not that it's it's always uncategorized, right? It's, it's oh no, it's a tool. But at the end of the day, with Eliza, with the proxy, it's like your job is now the AI's job. You're just facilitating the AI conversation. Exactly. Because the, because the question is, who does the tool serve? I mean, this is something that like Cory Doctorow always emphasizes that like when you're talking about a new tech development, the, there are two questions you should always ask. The first question you should ask is, who is it for and who is it doing it to? And if you answer, and if the answer to those, and if the answer to the first question is someone who is not you, and if the answer to the second question is you, you are being exploited. <laughs> like it's very clear because the thing is, actually, translation. I can use translation since it, translation is a field that I have worked in previously. Like I think it can actually. This be is really language clear. translation, yeah. just so we're clear, not the metaphorical concept of translation, which is I don't know yeah, what it, I was thinking of. Translation has like the practical job of like taking a text Trans in one language and turning it into a text in another language. Yes, continue. Okay, so within this broad field, like I can actually give you examples of both, like the exploitative and the non-exploitative. So within translation, there are these things called CAT, computer uh, computer assisted translation tools. And they're really useful, especially when you're working on, say, like medical translations or like any form of technical translation in which like the uh, the target language needs to be like as precise as possible. In other words, when you're using medical terminology, it needs to be consistent. Like if it says one thing in the source language, it needs to say the same thing again and again and again in the target language. This is not always the case in literary translation. In literary translation, you're often actually like reworking sort of the phrasing of what you see in the source language because you want it to read fluently in the target language. And that will often necessitate using a variety of different like words to translate what might be the same concept in the source language. And that's the nature, right? Not just of processing the language, but of comprehending the language. But we can use Dr. Rowe's analysis to actually understand why this is not, in fact, a problem, even though it is in many ways very similar to a lot of the AI tools that we're going to be that we've been talking about. Because if you ask the question, "Who is it for?" it's for the translator, and what is it doing it to? It's doing it to the translation. That is not an exploitative arrangement, but to use a different example in the same domain, when like what is called MT or machine translation was first being introduced, uh, this would have been like in the aughts. It actually kind of decimated a lot of technical translation because what ended up happening is that you would have clients who would like provide 
a a text that had been like translated by some automated method or translated in very giant scare quotes because these texts were basically garbled mush and then like handed over to a translator to then edit but since there's like oh you're not actually translating it so now we're going to pay you far less because you're just an editor when in reality the translator pretty much always had to actually like it is actually more work to take a garbled translated text and fix it than it is to just translate something from scratch. So generally speaking, what these translators were doing was just doing exactly the same work, translating it from scratch and then passing it off as an edited version of this thing that they'd been handed because that's what they were contracted to do. So in this instance, again, Dr. O's analysis can show us the way. <laughs> like, so the thing, machine translation, who is it for? It's for clients who want to be cheapskates. And who is it being and what is it being done to? To the translator. And so this mode of analysis is actually kind of useful when talking about tools because then you can look at all sorts of things. You can see why, like something like Unreal Engine, even though it is a thing owned by a company that makes money off of its use, it is a tool for designers to do things with games or to games. Whereas in a lot of these cases with like even the hypothesized applications of like large language models, like they want to actually do them to artists, to creators. And like, that's where it gets kind of scary. That's where like the genuine scary thing is to me, not the whole like Skynet scary thing, but like how the social relations are going to be altered as a result of like the deployment of a technology. Yeah. And I think that's where we're, our conversation really needs to be because so much of our conversations that we've been having circling, right, the internet about AI is either the exploitation of the workers, right, without asking those questions, who is this tool for, right? Yeah. And who does it, it uh, I was going to say, who does it harm? That is like, obviously biased. Um, who is this tool for? And then who does, what does the tool like do? What is it? No, no. Who is it doing to or what is it doing? Who is it doing to? I was like, there is yeah. a who involved. Who so is it doing a, to? There's a four and a two. Just remember a the four, four and, and a two. two. Four yeah. two, right? Yeah. Like four two itis. Got it. <laughs> um, so uh, comprehension, sorry. So I think what's really interesting, right, is if you look at the same questions, though, for the game Eliza, right? Yeah. Eliza is also the name of the game and is also the name of the tool or the AI, right? Yeah. Eliza is like, who is it for, right? Well, it was for the client. It was for well, that's a, like, the there, user, there are multiple right? tools. Like it's sort of like on the surface, and this is sort of revealed through the narrative of the game. Like superficially, it's supposed to be for the client. Like it's supposed to be for their benefit. But what is revealed, especially in the way in which it's collecting a lot of human data, as Lauren pointed out in our previous episode, like it's actually for this weird alter ulterior purpose to create this like singularity, this like artificial generalized intelligence. So that's what it's actually for in sort of like the underlying motives, even though like there is this claim. In other words, the 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 sort of the four 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 one and four two. So four one is actually a kind of guise in order to acquire the the data from individual clients. Right. But I would like I would like to just yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is I'd like to like just understand that the second version of four is different because that's like what you once he saw it deployed yeah right i think that's like a different 
that's like a different hypothesis, a different, yeah, not, not we're going to get there, but I just think yeah. that for now, right. Focusing on how it was supposed to originally be, I created Eliza, like you're saying it was yeah. for the client. Exactly. The inception was we created Eliza so it could listen to people's problems and then just act as a listening machine. Right. I think Evelyn talked about it as a reflection, right? Like a mirror. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was originally for, for the client. And then yeah. what is it for whom, like, is it doing that? I guess it's doing it. It wasn't originally, Evelyn was like, this is a chat GPT. Like, it's just going to ask you questions as you type to it or you talk to it. It's a speech to text model. But what's funny is that the psychologist that was on their team at the time said they needed a human to speak for it. So now you actually see that it's like creating jobs in a weird way. But it's actually, that was the, I think the problem is that it's, it was for, for whom was it doing it towards? It was actually doing it to the person who was asking of it. Yeah. And also the person using like the AR headset or whatever. Yeah. Well, and like the it's thing is, doing because, it to both of them. Well, yeah. And I think that's part of the, the, the reason why this analysis is important is because it's always doing these things simultaneously. And that's one of the ways in which these things that sort of like at first will appear to be tools get you hooked or get you interested is because it seems like it it is in fact doing something for you but i mean this is a common thing that people always say in tech that like if if a piece of software is free for you to use then like you're not the consumer you are in fact like you are the value that is being that is being provided yep. to the company that has deployed that software so and we can I was going to say we can use this in games really quickly because all of the free-to-play games are not for you to play for free. Yeah. You are there to hopefully be encouraged to spend your money there, right? Well, and also to create a user base for what are called whales, which are the... I mean, there is an economic model that underlies free-to-play games. Instead of actually sort of spreading out the cost across all players in a sort of even way and like, you know, if you're buying a game for, say, like your Xbox or your PlayStation, what the economic model there is, is this recognition that like a certain percentage of the people that play the game, we can actually get them to spend gobs of money. And so then the the free part exists to create the player base so as to get the people who spend gobs of money to give up the gobs of money. 